Hello, and welcome to the Freight Find Podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at DAT Freight and Analytics, and today I'll be talking with Bill Cassidy, Senior Editor for Trucking and Domestic Transportation at the Journal of Commerce. Um, I asked Bill to join me on this episode because there is so much going on in freight transportation and supply chains right now, and there is absolutely no one better to help us understand things and put them into perspective. Bill has been covering transportation for over 30 years, writing and editing at Fleet Owner, Transport Topics, Traffic World, and now for the last 10 plus years, the Journal of Commerce. We'll discuss the merger mania that is gripping the industry, the dramatic increase in the number of carriers entering the market, and supply chain disruptions in general. So following my conversation with Bill, I'll be joined by Dr. Inami Yu to discuss the truckload market update. So let's get started. Welcome to the Freight Find Podcast, Bill. Hey, Chris. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Yeah, I I love talking with you because you cover this industry so well, and there's so much to talk about now. Um, The big thing that I learned from the pandemic is that now even my distant relatives know what a supply chain is, and they they blame (laughs) it for everything. So if the one good thing came out of the pandemic and said everyone recognizes freight transportation and supply chain management and how important it is. Yes, suddenly we're popular at parties. It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but, you know, that that's okay. Um, so let's, let's dive in. So the first topic I want to hit is all the crazy mergers that have been going on in transportation. So right. what, what do you think? What's causing this and what do you think uh, what the results will be? I think there are a couple of things that are worth pointing out. You know, one is... Obviously, everyone's going to say the need for capacity. You need to find capacity. You can't hire new people. Your truck orders are backlogged. What do you do? You go out and you buy another company. And we've seen it. We've seen there's a lot of this going on. Most of it we don't even see because it's small companies buying small companies. But you think of the the example of Warner Enterprises buying ECT Transport, Mm -hmm. which is a regional short-haul truckload carrier that had been owned by an LTL carrier, Pitt, Ohio. You know, so Warner, of course, their length of haul is, you know, in that 800-plus mile, really 1,000-mile-plus range. They didn't have a lot of exposure to that that regional uh, and short-haul market, which is increasingly important. I mean, that is where we're seeing a a lot of e-commerce related growth, I believe. Right, right. No, that one, that one makes sense to me because that seemed to fill in a gap they had. The one that I, one that I don't understand, there are many I don't understand, but one of them is Knight Swift's acquisition of uh, AAA Cooper, a truckload carrier buying an LTL carrier. What, why did that happen? What do you think the synergies are? I think, I think that also is e-commerce. And, and, Hmm. uh, you know, I will say, you know, Truckload and LTL, you know, rarely have we spoken of them in the same breath as much as we have in the past year. Uh, I think that the pandemic really has pushed some change in perspective. You know, I hate to use the word transformation or say that we're seeing like a new model emerge. Every time we have a crisis, we we tend to see new models emerging, especially if you're a journalist and and you're looking for a good headline. (laughs) Right. But 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 I think there is an underlying shift going on here, Um, you, you know, for companies like Knight Swift, you know, which are obviously is the largest truckload operator in the U.S., LTL has not been at the you know front of mind for them right. in the past, but now with the increased amount of e-commerce 
the increased amount of middle mile uh, e-commerce freight moving on LTL because we're moving smaller shipments, we're mm-hmm. moving shipments shorter distances, all of that. You know, you can see that, you know, LTL this past year has just taken off and is not slowing down. I think if you look at ODFL's earnings today, you'll probably see another quarter of record earnings. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that that's really interesting? Because a lot of people think, oh, small parcel, LTL, uh, you know, last mile. But I don't think LTL is really picking up a lot of e-commerce last mile. Do you think it's that middle mile that they're substituting for? I think that's it exactly. I mean, yeah. The LTL carriers I'll talk about last mile, and some of them have gone a long way to setting up internal divisions to handle that. Estes is one. FedEx Freight is another. and But the middle mile is where a lot of them see opportunity. And that had been truckload. That had been truckload freight at one point. Yeah, you mentioned before, you know, LTL and truckload rarely mention the same breath. Ever since deregulation, when it just split, right? So from the 80s on, they've been separate because they have two very, very different operating plans and, and capital requirements. So do you, do you see this as a uh, more, that there were more LTL to truckload mergers or acquisitions? I, I think there's going to be more cooperation. I mean, there's always been a, a great deal of reliance in the LTL side, especially on truckload for line haul uh-huh. when they, you know, when they can't, when they don't have enough capacity to meet their line haul requirements, they go to a truckload carrier and it's purchase transportation. And that can really, as, as you know, upset their, uh, their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think in this case, what we're seeing more again is because we've had this, you know, acceleration of e-commerce which you know, I'm, I'm sure you have uh, your own measurements of this, but I remember DHL uh, saying a couple of weeks ago that they believe it's been accelerated five to seven years. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so, so when you look at that, I mean, suddenly the kind of demand that's being placed on networks, and we're seeing because of that, because of the disruption in the marketplace, you know, we're seeing freight shift from truckload to LTL. We're seeing LTL carriers ha- handle transloading of ocean containers, Right. Which I would never have thought. You know, again, I mean, we always think ocean containers, okay, they either are transloaded into uh, intramodal rail cars, right? You know, or, you know, maybe they go truckload, but you've got companies like Estes opening up a hundred door terminal in Savannah and hmm. uh, looking at opening a new terminal in Riverside in California. They, they have stated clearly they're looking at that ocean freight, which is not typically what you would think an LTL carrier would be handling. They're they're still much more industrial freight, but that's becoming a bigger part that retail uh, freight is becoming a bigger part of their portfolio. Well, do you think it's that LTL carriers have changed? Because back in the day, they were almost all union, right? Union versus non-union truckload. But there aren't that many union LTL carriers anymore, are there? No, there aren't. I mean, if you think back to like, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we talked about the big three, which were consolidated mm-hmm. freightways, yellow and roadway. Well, yellow and roadway are now yellow. Right. Uh, they had been wire C freight for a while, but they're becoming yellow again. Uh, you know, consolidated freightways went out in 2002. And uh, yeah, the only other, besides yellow, the only other major uh, unionized carrier would be ABF freight. Yeah. Uh, and also UPS freight is unionized, but under a different, you know, again, they're all under different contracts now. But those are just three carriers. The old overnight? The old the old overnight, which was the, yeah. for, for, you know, most of its history, 
the least unionized carrier. Right. Right. Uh, right. It, you know, their their founder was responsible for a lot of the right to work legislation. But uh, yeah, so no, it's been it's fascinating. Now you've got in the top ten carriers only th- only three that are unionized. Hmm. Uh, the industry is is vastly is deregulated and non-union today. So I think, you know, you've had that change. I think what's happening now, one of the big changes is that make, what makes a company attractive to uh, a Knight Swift or another investor, look at an LTL company, is the fact that they have, for the most part, gotten their books in order over the past decade. You know, up uh, in the run-up to the 2008-2009 recession, when you know the new YRC was having so much trouble, you had a lot of its competitors really uh, lowering rates, discounting mm-hmm. rates, trying to knock them out of the out of the market, and it was a rate war. And their balance sheet suffered for two or three or four years. Um, they made a lot of changes. So all these carriers survived, and they made a lot of changes in the last decade. And now, when you talk about LTL, what you hear is pricing discipline. Right. You don't hear about 90% discounts off a 1988 tariff anymore. Well, uh, you know, it's, well, it's funny, Bill. You're hearing that more and more. I mean, UPS, it, its results just came out, and uh, the new CEO is really driving it. Their, I believe their revenue, their volumes are down, but their profits are up because of a lot of that price discipline. So it seems to be across the entire industry. And we saw that that UPS you know, sold its UPS freight, which had right. been overnight, uh, to... TFI International in Canada, right, right. and their operating ratio at UPS rate was something like 98 in, in 2020. <laughs> uh, so really not a profitable unit for them. Uh, lots of reasons for that probably, but you know they saw that the T-Force, which is, uh, I think it's now T-Force uh, Freight, and uh, we'll see what happens there, but I'm sure that, you know, they are, that TFI is going to put some changes in there to make it uh, a bit more profitable than a, a 98 operating ratio. And so some other acquisitions or mergers, a combination of those for non-asset base, Global Trains and Worldwide Express merged. They moved from, I think, the 27th and 28th-ish largest 3PLs to the 12th in the U.S. Yeah. And then the big one I wanted to talk about, Uber um, Freight acquiring TransPlace. Um, so what are your thoughts on the mergers in the non-asset base side? Is that a different uh, logic there or is that following the same reasoning? <laughs> There's some there's some of the same reasoning and there's some things that are different, I think. I mean, uh, you know, with Worldwide Express and Global Trans, for example, I mean, I think that this is an opportunity. I mean, again, I think companies are seeing uh, they're making acquisitions of opportunity. They've got lots of cash cash on hand. There's, you know, in, in some areas, there's a lot of venture capital out there, too, that is right. you know, up for grabs. And that also is is part of this. But uh you know, I think companies are seeing the opportunity to really ex- expand their own reach, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that Global Trans and Worldwide Express are good examples of that. I mean, the combination gives, you know, the new company a, a broader portfolio. They've, they've already got great business, you know, and the thing is, we're seeing a lot of acquisitions and mergers but, you know, again, in, in these these markets, these markets are still fragmented enough right. that even with these mergers among these big players, there's no lack of competition out there. Yeah, and, but, but Bill, Bill, do you see a consolidation in this uh, brokerage 3PL 
non-asset based side of things. Cause you know, we'll have a ton of shippers. We have a ton of carriers and we'll talk about the growth of the carrier base, but what about in the middle though, those brokers, do you see, and right now it's fairly decentralized, but do you see that consolidating? Do you know, we talk about consolidation a lot in, in both trucking and brokerage. And mm-hmm. I think it's very, I think you can consolidate to a degree, but it's very, it's very hard to to see, you know, a consolidation, you know, as we've seen in, say, the ocean shipping world coming around. There's just too many players. And, you know, in some ways, there's too much opportunity for, for new players to come yeah. in, especially on the non-asset side. And I know back in April, you had a discussion with Doug Wagoner at Echo Global Logistics. Do you right. remember when Echo, back, say, around 2007, 2008, they were the disruptor back then. Right. They were the new kid on the block and they were hitting they, they were on the Inc. five thousand list every year as one of the, the fastest growing companies. So it's really interesting. We went through this period where, you know, an Echo and and, and uh, Coyote were the the new fast growing three PLs and now they're now they're big players in the business. I think we're seeing we're seeing that again, I think. Yeah, the question is platforms. Um will there be a dominant two or three platforms and you because that's the, that's the question that's what when uber and transplace because they seem to have very different models uber is very much on the small carrier side small shipper side they're doing a great job there and transplace i was viewed as being the 3pl for large shippers you know, with yeah the I mean, as, as, as you know they have you know people embedded in the logistics departments of all right. types of companies across the country uh you know so that to me was one of the most interesting, up along with Knight mm-hmm. Swift and AAA Cooper. Uh, Uber Freight, you know, again, like uh, like Echo Global Logistics, you know, 20 years ago, started out about within the past five years as, you know, a market disruptor. That's what mm-hmm. I was saying. We're going to disrupt the business. Okay, so now they've bought a big 3PL. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so are they still a disruptor? I mean, they're becoming, as we've seen in the past, a lot of the smaller companies that start out with, you know, a, a new model or new technology uh, wind up becoming, you know, what they're trying to disrupt <laughs> to a certain extent. Uh, but I think you're you're dead on when you talk about platforms. I think this is all about the, the evolution of digital freight platforms, Uh Moving away, perhaps, from the traditional idea of brokerage and 3PLs to a, a new type of industry operating model that will be based on individual platforms, but the platforms are going to all be connected in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, you know, if one, you know, if the Uber Freight Transplace platform has to connect to CH Robinson or has to connect to JB Hunt 360. You know, they'll find ways to set up APIs and do this and share information and freight where it makes sense for them to do that. Uh, Are we going to have three dominant platforms or are we going to have, you know, a galaxy of uh, 50 or 100, you know, platforms? Uh, I, I kind of feel we're probably more likely, based on history, to go to a more fragmented series of platforms, some yeah. of which may form alliances. You know, it may look more like the ocean carriage business than uh, Interesting. 
than the trucking business in a way. But, you know, yeah. I think that that's more likely than having two or three big ones that, that dominate the world simply because this is the way transportation and logistics have, have evolved and worked. We, we rarely have, except in the railroads uh, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. to a degree in the ocean business, you rarely have these, these big leviathans that dominate everything. Yeah, it's funny. You raised the point, though, when Uber Freight came in prior to that, because it's only been four years. It's um, very short. Sure. Yeah. So before they came in, everyone was advertising that they were the Uber for freight, right? Because <laughs> right. that was the thing to be the Uber for X. And um, <laughs> so then, you know, the digital freight brokers came in and they, you know, the convoys, the transfix, the transloads, Uber Freight, all kind of lumped together. And but the funny thing is, many of them, Uber Freight included, was buying space in Chicago to have a boatload of people on phones, just like C.H. Robinson, which already has that, has spent more in technology investment than most of the other companies combined. So these two, you know, traditional and the digital really are moving towards each other. And right. so I, I, it's really interesting because when I talk to shippers, they tend to do some of these more innovative auto tenders, you know, with the APIs in, with guardrails on the rates, with the digital freight brokers, when the large traditional brokers, and I'll lump Coyote in there with C.H. Robinson, XBO, all those guys, also have the same capabilities. So right. I always, I, so my question to you is, what's the difference between a digital freight broker, one of those ones, and a traditional freight broker in your mind? Is there a difference? There's less and less of a difference. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the major difference was initially in the... Not so much in what they do, but how they think about what they do. Hmm. You what know, do you mean? The, the, well, the convoys, the transfixes, uh, leaf logistics, they were all looking at approaching the market, perhaps from a non-traditional perspective. Right. Uh, looking at, you know, often being enabled by a certain technology or a certain certain idea, you know, and, and brokerage came into that, but they didn't want to build themselves as brokers. Right. Right. You know, and I think what they have found is that, yes, you know, they can, you know, they, they, well, number one, they can't, they can't win just by lowballing price, which was an issue with some, some companies. Oh, oh, yeah. We saw that. I mean, in 2019 at DAT, we can show you exactly where those group of digital freight brokers are way below market. Right. And it was almost like the VCs were subsidizing that those rates. Yeah, yeah. That that changed. <laughs> that changed. <laughs> that changed. So they, they've gotten past that point. You know, they're not the only ones with technology. I mean, all the big three PLs have had right. you know extensive technology departments. I've been to CH Robinson's headquarters and I've seen their uh, you know their technology building, which is you know you know probably bigger than most independent software companies' headquarters. Uh, you know, so they're all working on being more digital. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, you know, I, I think we're now into the next phase of what makes you stand out in the marketplace. And, you know, perhaps they're offering, you know, certain types of services that the bigger companies aren't offering yet. I think that's not likely to, to last. Mm-hmm. And as you said, you know, if, you know, a lot of the automated capabilities, you know, C.H. Robinson and the others have now too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so, so. I think from a shipper perspective, you know, a reason for, you know, seeing the shippers do some of this work with, with convoy while they give the majority of their business to a, a major 3PL, a lot of that 
shippers are becoming a bit smarter about, you know, diversifying yes. their own portfolio of, of carriers and 3PLs. I agree. And I think I that a lot of care, a lot of shippers, I mean, and this often gets, you know, it, it, when you look at the news coverage, this often doesn't really come through, but a, a lot of uh, the stories might make you think, oh, okay, this, this shipper is going to work with this 3PL. It's going to work with that 3PL. They're all working with multiple 3PLs, really, sure. if they're smart at this point. So I think what a lot of them are doing is they're saying, you know, we're going to put a certain amount of our freight with, you know, a convoy or a transfix and a certain amount of our freight with Echo, with C.H. Robinson, TQL, you know, whoever else it may be out there. And that way they don't have all their eggs in one basket. Sure. And they don't become too dependent on any one. Uh, again, don't become too dependent on any one supplier. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that is more and more in the minds of of shippers and how they use, you know, how they use some of these these companies who are developing. Now they're developing platforms. You're right. Uh, you're right. And shippers are also being much smarter in where where they put their freight uh, across that whole portfolio, from dedicated to contract to this dynamic or spot piece. I've seen, um, I had an interview with someone from Newell, uh, Steve Judge, and what he said, what they're, they're not even bidding out uh, for contracts, the lanes that are low volume and low volume is, you know, 10 to 15 loads a year. That'll go straight to one of these uh, brokers. And it's smart because they're using them as they're best suited because asset based carriers don't do well on those really onesie twosie sparse lanes of brokerage does much better. And right. so I think yeah. shippers are getting smarter in how they allocate uh, their their volumes across that capacity portfolio. Yeah, and how they contract. And yes. and I think that's a fascinating subject for a different podcast. Different podcast yes, maybe. yes, and, and yes, and I've, <laughs> we, we've done some of those. I've written some papers, and we'll, we'll talk more about that later. But let's go to the other side of the market. We talk about the big guys acquiring things. But the other thing that's happened over 2021, uh, you wrote an article recently about this, 58,000 new carriers in the first six months of 2021, uh, so we have 322,000, give or take, uh, truck uh, um, transportation carriers out there. What's going on? I think what's going on, and I've talked with a, a couple of people about this, but you know, Jeff Tucker of uh, Tucker Company Worldwide, which is a freight management company, 3PL, uh, he tracks data from the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration on a weekly and monthly basis, uh, partly for a shipper risk management firm that he also owns, qualifiedcarriers.com. He looks at the actual number of carriers with uh, operating authority and proof of insurance on file with the FMCSA. Because if you don't have both of those, you can't be hired by a 3PL uh, legally. So, you know, those are what he considers active carriers. FMCSA has a broader definition. I mean, if you, I think if you ping your account, you know, with FMCSA, uh, within six months, you're considered an active carrier, whether you have insurance or not. Uh, That creates a much bigger number. But uh, the numbers that he has seen have been pretty impressive. You you mentioned it. Yeah, it's 58,000 new carriers in the first six months of 2021. Uh, The number now is 322,305 carriers. Yeah, which you know might seem small if you've been hearing seven hundred thousand carriers and all that, but a lot of those carriers are just names on paper. You know, 
That number is so hard to find. I mean, uh, the number ranges. If you talk to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, it's massive. Uh, ATA, Mm -hmm. you know, somewhere in the middle. It's it's a hard number to really find. Yeah, that's why I like uh, Tucker's number. It's because they have both operating authority and insurance, and it's updated monthly. You know, so he's he's getting those numbers. He's breaking them down. Yeah, and what he's seeing is that the the vast majority of the increase is in the uh, like the under one hundred truck. Uh, under 100 truck fleet level. I mean, the number of, of fleets with less than 100 trucks increased from about 260,000 to 318,000 over the last wow. six months. And yeah. I think if you broke it down to one to six, which you used to do, it would it would kind of reflect that too. Most of those companies would be uh, one to six trucks. Yeah, so that, that six, makes sense. So so is this good news to shippers, more capacity into the market? Well, it's it's good news if you're a smaller shipper, I think. Mm. If you're a large shipper who depends on, you know, high-volume carriers uh, to move a lot of freight, it's not really helping you. And I think this is the, uh, you know, the, the hard point for a lot of companies. Uh, you know, what we're seeing, I think, is a lot of people who either sidelined themselves last year or who were leased to a larger carrier right. have decided, you know, in this spot market, I don't need to be leased to lease to Swift Transportation or to Schneider National. I can go out of my own authority and do, quite do well. really, really well. Yeah. And they're doing it. Yeah, that's what the Dean Croak um, has has talked about that a lot. And we've, we've seen that as well. The c- total capacity didn't seem to increase too much, but a lot of um, owner operators went out and they're making money while the hay, while the sun shines. While the sun shines, you know, and so it's a shift of capacity. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. this capacity tends to go back and forth a bit, depending on the economy. Do you see it going back anytime soon? It, you know, maybe, you know, may, probably not anytime soon, but, you know, maybe if we see demand slacken 2022, 2023, I can't see too far into the future there. But, you know, <laughs> the, ne- the next time demand slackens and, and prices begin to, rates begin to drop a little bit, you might see some of that go back. Uh, you know, I remember last year we had some people saying, oh, we're going to see a, a big shift of, carrier, of, of drivers and small carriers back to the larger companies, when, you know, when rates were going down to new lows in, say, April of 2020. You know, yeah. if that happened, they 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 they've gone back now out on the road on their own. Yeah. But I think, oh, you know, if you look back over the past ten years, you look at Tucker's numbers again. You know, they do show that from the Great Recession through the twenty twenty COVID recession, there was real growth in the small carrier market, mm-hmm. real growth in the one to six truck carrier market. Uh, not so much. There was growth in the large carrier market too, but. That's where you've always heard of the driver shortage. That's where you've always, you know, you've seen actually, you know, the largest carriers, most of them, with the exception of some that are owner operator based, most of them have smaller fleets today than they had in 2006. Interesting. I haven't realized that actually. They're more, I think the whole industry has gotten a lot smarter. I remember in the mid nineties when I was first doing procurement, transportation procurement bids for large shippers, we'd have carriers bid on everything, literally everything. And now they're much more selective. They know what they, they know their networks more. And I think shippers have gotten smarter too. So I think the whole industry has really gotten more sophisticated over the last, even five years. Over the last five years, definitely the, you know, I think the last 10 years, I mean, where I've sought 
I mean, certainly I saw it in the uh, in the LTL industry in the last decade in how they manage their networks and how they manage pricing and costing. Uh, they actually know now what it costs to move a piece of freight from point A to point B rather than just, you know, making a guesstimate and, and discounting off of that. True, uh, true. The carriers that did that, you know, a lot of them went out of business and a lot of them, uh, you know, are, are, are no longer with us. But, you know, the truckload carriers too. I mean, it's, it's really interesting to look at the, the truck orders you know, and to think about what's going to happen with capacity in the next, uh, you know, six months to a year. A lot of speculation about truck orders and, you know, what an influx of new trucks will will do to the marketplace. A lot of speculation about, you know, whether drivers are going to come back in droves in the fall. You know, my own thought on the driver side of that is if they're not out there driving right now, mm-hmm. you know, why are they going to come back in the fall? I mean, rates are at a, a peak. Oh, yeah. Rates are at a peak. I mean, there's there's no one who's staying out right now, I think, because they think rates are going to be better in October. You know, there is a perverse <clears throat> relationship with higher rates and capacity for smaller carriers. I remember doing a project for U.S. Steel years, decades ago, and where they tried to increase their capacity by raising their rates. And they found out that the capacity actually went down. Because a lot mm-hmm. of the small guys, they operate off of a, a budget, right? So if I hit a certain amount of revenue for that month, I'm done and I'm going fishing, right? right. <laughs> so it, a rate, an increased rates lets them do that second job or second hobby faster. Now, I haven't yeah. seen that yet in this market, but it's something that, uh, that happens in some of the smaller individual onesie twosie owner operators. Yeah. And I, th- I think your colleague, David Corell and I have talked about this, the, you know, people tend to think a truck driver is a truck driver full time all the time, but many of them yeah. aren't. Many of That's them, you know, point. they they will, you know, drive for, you know, two weeks and then do something else for two weeks. Or they'll drive seasonally. Right. You know, the right. number of drivers who drive seasonally and then leave the industry in, in January every year is enormous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and that tends to get washed out in the seasonal adjustments when we look at employment data. But, you know, but yeah, it is a really big, significant number. The other thing that we talked about, the sophistication or the increased sophistication of the market, it's when I came in the 90s or early 2000s, there weren't many PhDs in this area, to be honest. Um, Chris Lofgren, right, and was CEO of Schneider with a PhD from Georgia Tech. And there are other people dabbling in it. But now it's tough to find a 3PL or a carrier or a shipper that doesn't have at least some operations research or data analyst, masters or PhDs working for them. Yeah, it's really transformed things. That's been a huge change, and you know, it's it's a, it's a maturation of the industry. I mean, yeah. trucking in particular, for for numerous reasons, probably uh, lagged behind. I think in the adoption of technology and the adoption of more efficient business practices, um, and that you know has changed dramatically in the past ten years, and is going to reshape the. The playing field probably over the next yeah. 10 years, yeah. you know, in ways yeah. we have yet not yet, you know, truly fathomed. I think, you know, Knight Swift buying an LTL carrier, a big regional LTL carrier is one example of that. And of course, you know, Knight Swift said they're, they're not done. They're still looking at other carriers. Interesting. Uh, so they may very well piece together a national LTL network hmm. and uh, have that running alongside their truckload networks. That will be interesting uh, to see because they seem like two very different operating models, but maybe because the type of freight is changing with e-commerce, maybe that'll make sense. But Bill, let me ask one last 
topic that I wanted to get to, and that's congestion at the ports. Um, it was horrible in January, February, first quarter of 2021. Uh, seemed to be getting better for a while, but it doesn't seem to be abetting yet. What What do you think's happening there? What do you think uh, will happen the rest of 21? I, I know. I think the real problem is there is it is congestion at the ports. I, I think it's going to stay with us throughout this year. You know, I'm just a reporter, but <laughs> based on based on observations over the years, uh, you know, and I've been covering transportation for, I hate to tell you how long, 37 years wow. now. Um, the uh, We're going to see this play out through 2021, probably into early 2022. Uh, some of the major freight forwarders and other players in the industry are saying they don't expect to see a lot of improvement until after the you know, next year's Lunar New Year in February or early March. You know, it's it's not just the ports. The ports are a choke point, but it's the entire supply chain. And this is the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, in, in previous years where we've had problems at the ports, like back when we had you know, labor disruption in L.A. Long Beach, that was just the problem was in L.A. Long Beach. Problem was it in Chicago or, or, you know, at truck terminals or, you know, with the shipping lines themselves. It was a it was a, a choke point that we had to get around. Now the choke points extend from end to end right. of the supply chain. You know, you, th- you think back what happened in Yantian when they had the uh, the upsurge in COVID cases around the port area there in China. Um, you know, you think of what's happening in Chicago right now, and you know where you have you know class one railroads either putting embargoes or strictly rationing capacity on their lines from Southern California to Chicago. Uh, you think of the, you know we have the STB and the FMC kind of debating over who gets to who gets to re-regulate you know uh, demurrage and things like that. So, so there's there's there are problems from one end of the supply chain to the other, and they all contribute to that that port congestion. Right. The fact that you can't get chassis, yeah. The yeah. fact that you can't get drivers, uh, the fact that you know truck orders are backlogged. I mean, all these things are. They all, they, all, they all tend to put pressure back to where that weak point is, and, and that's the port. And I should mention warehouse space, too, mm-hmm. because if you, you know, can't find a place to put your containers, a warehouse to send them to, they tend to pile up at the port. And, you know, there was a, a column in uh, JOC.com this week by John McLaurin, who's, who's president of the uh, Pacific Merchant Shipping Association, on port congestion. And... Uh, he had an interesting point, and mm-hmm. this would be a good point of discussion. And his quote is, government and industry need to seriously evaluate the possibility of transforming the supply chain from a pull system to a push system. Today, cargo sits until a cargo owner pulls that cargo from a, a marine terminal. A system that increases cargo velocity and increases system capacity would push cargo from the terminal to the destination as it arrives. No one would imagine FedEx or UPS waiting until the customer calls for their package. Yeah, Interesting. I, can, I can see every shipper having a different opinion. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it's, it's, it, sounds, it sounds a lot easier on paper than it ever would in practice. Yeah, get it off my dock. Yeah, <laughs> right. But, yeah. but it's funny, you're talking about, uh, the, this kind of brings us back to our first point we made, um, because I was just talking to some of my colleagues in Ningbo, China. We have a center there at MIT, and that's actually the largest port that no one's ever heard of. And they're having horrible storms right now. 
And that ripple effect we'll see in a couple weeks as that kind of slows things down and we'll have more um, batching and queuing of, of shipments coming in. Everything's connected. And so yeah. the freeze in, in Texas in February, we still haven't go- gotten over that in terms of the resin. So I was talking to someone in the construction industry and they can't get, you know, insulation. There's it, it ripples everywhere. And so the big lesson that, again, we've learned from the pandemic is that, you know, it's the uh, the butterfly effect. If something happens across the world in the supply chain, we will feel it eventually here. And so it's all. And this connected. is the biggest example of that we've ever had. I mean, you know, again, like in previous, you know, previous crises or disasters such as, you know, Hurricane Harvey, that affected a lot of supply chains far from Houston yes. because they had suppliers in Houston. But it was, you know, eventually that righted itself right. and we moved on. You know, in this case, you can't write yourself because it's not a localized problem that occurs once and is solved and is over. It's an ongoing problem that is global, which is why we say pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it doesn't just go away after uh, a period of, of weeks or months. No, it even affected, though we might wish it would. It affected so uh, many supply chains. It's hard to pick a supply chain that is not disrupted to some extent because of one, a lack of labor supply at some time during the pandemic, an increased demand at some point in the pandemic, and then problems connecting them through whether they're congestion choke points or just not enough capacity. So you're right. Everything has been, everything is affecting everyone. And when you have a system operating at a high level of, of uh, utilization, any little change will cause a big disruption and a ripple effect. So I think the, the thing that changes this, that brings, you know, these, this disruption, mm-hmm. if not to an end that abates it until it eventually works itself out, it, it has to be a drop in demand, which is not necessarily what we want to see either. You know, it, it would make our supply chains easier, but it would mean, you know, yeah. less revenue for uh, the companies. I mean, supply chains are being disrupted because we're moving and we're selling so much stuff, right? which is a good thing on one side. Yeah, it's, durable it's goods the, went back up again. I, I thought there'd be a flip to more services, but it seems like we're still spending a lot of money buying things that'll last more than three years. And, and you know, that is, you know, part of the underlying reason for uh, the inflation that we're seeing, yeah. which, yeah, is the highest it's been in decades. And I think we saw the biggest jump in June mm-hmm. uh, that we had seen in 13 years. But, you know, a lot of that inflation, you know, as IHS Market, which is the parent company of, of JOC, you know, uh, points out a lot of it is due to things such as the shortage of resin, the shortage of, you know, semiconductors, inability to deliver things, used car prices going up. Oh my up. gosh. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, you know, not because people want to buy old cars, it's because they can't buy new ones. Yeah. You know, so when we're able to sell, to manufacture and sell more new cars because we have the chips and, and all these things begin to work themselves out, you know, that will perhaps eliminate some of the inflation and we'll see some of those prices drop back down. I do think there is, are, there is our examples though. They're not going to drop back down to where they were necessarily, no. uh, you know, two years ago or five years ago. I think the fact, you know, that you have wage inflation, especially in trucking, you know, if you're a shipper, I mean, these driver wages that have been going up aren't going to drop no. back down unless we have an economic disaster and see a lot of drivers out of work again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you don't want to see that. Uh, but, you know, the uh, the wage increases are going to contribute to trans. There are aspects of service inflation that I think probably remain longer than 
the goods inflation, mm-hmm. goods price inflation. I'll leave that to the economists to figure okay. out. How's that? <laughs> All right. Yeah, we're ha- having uh, Paul Bingham will be coming to our DATCON, which is going to be held uh, the first week of October in Austin. And so we'll, we'll ask him about the economics questions. Great. I mean, that would be a, a fantastic opportunity. All right. Well, Bill, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you. As always, you give me uh, different insights and ways of looking at some of the current events that are happening. Chris, I really appreciate it. It's great to talk with you, of course, and uh, great to share all this with your audience. All right. So everyone, please stay tuned to hear the market update with Dr. Enam Iyun. Welcome to the Over the Road Truckload Market Update for July 29th, 2021. In today's market update, we will discuss the market changes in the last two weeks. Let's start with dry van. Active rates are up 1.4%, spot rates up 2%, replacement rates positive 6%. This means the new contract rates are about 6% above the rates being replaced. On the temp control side, active rates up 2%, spot rates up 2%, and replacement rate is positive 4%. In a model, active rates are flat, spot rates down 4%, and replacement rate is positive 3%. Finally, on the flatbed side, active rates are up 2%, spot rates down 2%, and replacement rate is positive 4%. Okay, so, you know, it seems like there's a little bit of fluctuation going on. What do you think are the big takeaways for the last two weeks? Yeah, the last two weeks, I think we are uh, continuing to see this, uh, the active rates climbing. It's still not seen flattening. I mean, the rate of increase is slowing down, but I, it's, it's still we are not seeing too much of the, the, the flattening effect. Right. Um, on the spot market, if I go back a two to three months, what I'm seeing is it's up and down, few percentage points up, down. So it's it seems it's it's not coming down, you know, to previous levels. So it's staying still up in uh, as high as it has gone, but it's just fluctuating around that. Staying uh, at that elevated rate. It's staying yes, up there. Okay. Yes, but it's dropping every so often to two, three percentage, then going back up. And then the replacement rates. So it looks like those are still going up, but maybe not quite as much as previously. That that's correct. In the in the past, we have seen more like in the eight, nine, ten percent. Now it is more like five, six percent. So the higher rates are still being absorbed into the routing guide, but maybe not as as much. So I I don't know. That I guess it depends when new rates and auctions are being done for the annual RFPs. Maybe they're seeing a, a still an increase from last year but not as much as what we saw a couple months ago. I get, yeah, that, that's that's my take as well. I think end of the day, the shipper's objective is to get, get uh, you know, minimize going to the routing, the, the spot market and get them into the routing guide even at a higher price. So what other factors do you think are at play here? I think that the labor market is still, still mm-hmm. is a driver. And, and it's, you know, even though 
you hear quite a bit about, you know, it's about the pay and unemployment benefits running out or still being there. You know, I, I think some of these come more from a political perspective, but I think it's much more complex uh, coming out of the, the whole COVID um, and, and, you know, COVID and COVID-related issues. So some people, frontline, meaning service industries, right. still not, you know, some are, you know, still recuperating with some of the effects uh, I think um, some others don't want to come to that environment again. Um, right. Others have moved on to other industries. I mean, uh, com- you know, Amazon uh, and companies like that have opened big DCs. They have absorbed and it's a different working environment now. Yeah, no, that, that's really interesting. I, I, in the conversation uh, that we just had with Bill Cassidy, who's pointing that out as well. And something that uh, Dean Croak and you've also pointed out that while there have been more carriers with operating authority entering the market, um, the the actual capacity is more of a shift than an increase. So we haven't seen an increase in supply either uh, from the carrier side. Absolutely. So I think, and and, and then on that side, uh, if you look at it, it's, you know, all these other, what do you call this, circuit shortages and this, that, and everything is holding some of the supplies back. Right. Right. Um, and demand so is still high. Demand, demand is still high. Yes, for services, durable goods, retail, yes. it's still going up. Yeah, and some of it is transitionary. I think so, you know, even like for example, the housing industry, and I mean, we already saw the lumber things back down now, and so forth. So some are transitionary, but you know, some are going to stick. I mean, wage right. increases are going to stick. If you have to give a wage increase, you cannot take it back. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of um, manufacturers are starting to sneak in some some uh, price increases as well. Uh, I've read that a lot of CPG companies are starting to increase that because they think the consumers are willing to bear it. So uh, yeah. demand is up, prices are up, inflation, labor shortage. So we'll see how things evolve throughout the uh, throughout the fall. Yeah, end of the day, the consumer has to pay, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's exactly it's it's going to get passed down, and yeah. uh, so. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, but I, I think with the schools opening up, I think should give some of the service industries some, you know, relief because, you know, it will take some of the load away from, uh, the, um, uh, daycare, uh, oh, problems that, that many, many of the single moms or, or, you know, the mothers are running into mostly. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think that should help and and of course then the delta variant is playing crazy too so i think it's it's it's, yep, it's another storm to uh, make people reconsider not getting vaccinated so yeah there's a <laughs> lot of uh, drive now because it's so contagious yeah yes yeah. all right well i guess that concludes this week's truckload market update thanks Inam. thank you well that wraps up this episode of the freight fine the freight fine podcast is hosted by dr Inam Ayub and myself chris kaplis and is produced and edited by DATIQ. For more information or to hear previous episodes, please visit our website at dat.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to The Freight Find wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on The Freight Find or suggestions for what you'd like to hear in the future, send an email to me at chris.caplis at dat.com. Finally, from all of us at the Freight Vine, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new.